Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, Sorry. we have a different camera angle. Yeah, so I got um, the Logitech webcam I've been wanting as a Christmas gift, so I needed to figure out how to set it up, but now it's a little bit high, um, which I guess is better than my like upshot for my laptop, so I'll take it, but <laughs> need to figure it out again, I guess. Yeah, no, it's one of those things. Good. Good. So yeah, how was uh, how are your holidays? Yeah, they've been busy. I mean, it's it's always busy when you, um, well, it's busy this year, especially because of because of COVID. My mother-in-law is uh, has a comorbidity, and my dad has a comorbidity, so we did two Christmases in one day. Three, technically, if you count my my brother-in-law and his wife coming in the middle of that. So busy, yeah. So now it's um, it's the last push before I go and leave at the end of the week. So, so good. Well, that'll be nice. Is uh, everything okay with your son? Yeah, he's fine. He just tweaked the ligaments in his arm. Mm. Um, yeah, I was you know, we weren't sure if because I picked him up funny. Well, I say I lifted it. I pulled him up by his arm um, while he was getting up, and as I pulled him up, I heard this sort of click sound. And then he was already crying and, and, and that. So then he, then he started really crying. So I thought, shit, maybe I've now dislocated his arm or something because he couldn't hold my, my fingers. He couldn't grip them. Uh, but it's very difficult with a toddler to try to get them to do things. So we had a first aid guy there. He had a look at it. He said, oh, you know, he's probably just pulled a muscle. Um, it happens with them when they do a lot of roughhouse stuff because he was doing a lot of, you know, he was run, we were running around and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then decided that actually, you know, I'm going to take him to get checked just in case it is dislocated because you don't want to sit with a pinched nerve uh, for too long. So we went and had it checked and they said, no, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a nerve from the top. It's just the, there's a, a ligament just that goes on the front of your forearm here because he couldn't, he kind of like sort of put his arm straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just been tweaked. So he's got it now, not in a cast, but it's in like a, um, a fiberglass uh, sheath that's, well, it, it like keeps the arm half bent and then they've wrapped it up in bandages. So we'll leave it on for a week Oof. and then yeah, hopefully he'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, so, that's, that's good though. It's nothing too serious, but having that on for a week, I'm sure will not be too fun for him but no shame he doesn't know he doesn't know so like you know he wants to go and swim and he was and he can't swim now because you'll keep the thing dry so we've had to put you know plastic plastic bag around it so that he can't um um get wet and uh, you know it's so hot here it's 30 30 degrees so what's that that's probably 110 fahrenheit um you know so the only thing you want to do when it gets to this time of day is go and have a long swim um mm-hmm. Because the pool's about the pool's about ten degrees, so you know you really you really get, get um, cooled down. But he'll be okay. He's young, yeah. you know, made of rubber. Yeah, uh, makes makes me feel like a fantastic parent when you know when you do something and, and you end up at six hours in hospital room 
Well, you have to get sorted out. It wasn't six hours, it was about three hours. I'm exaggerating. Yeah, <laughs> my sister broke her arm as a kid and I broke my collarbone. Um, I broke my collarbone the first day of summer vacation after first grade, which was a bummer. I fell off of a swing set and broke my collarbone. So I had the same thing. I couldn't swim at the start of summer and all of that, which wasn't fun. Oh, no. But it's, fun, it's funny you say that because we, you know, there's a park near my folks' place and we went for a walk yesterday to the park and he gets on the swing and he's swinging and he's just learning. He's, you know, it's not, a, it's not a toddler swing where they've got like the cage that they put their legs through. It's a normal swing. And he wasn't going very fast, but you know, I keep telling him, well, you got to hold on, you got to hold on. And as, as he's going up, he sort of waves at everyone with one hand and he holds on the other one. And then the last time he does that, he, he sort of puts his bum forward and he now tilts backwards. And he lets go and he lands on his neck and I'm like, oh, geez. And then he gets up and he's like, ow. So he goes down fine. But, you know, that could have been, you know, ticket. Yeah. So thankfully it was only a you know, half meter fall. But, but yeah. Anyway, this is, this is probably the most long overdue episode for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we're still getting it in in time. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. Well, I finally listened to all the episodes I had to listen to again. Um, took for, it took forever, but but it was you know you want to give every episode its due, and, and there's a lot of like and also trying to pick a highlight or highlight of two um, out of an episode is so difficult because there are such interesting you know the conversation has flown and there's so much stuff that comes out. I'm sure you found the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it was very difficult just to pick one or two things, but let's let's see how we go. Yeah, let's do it. So I guess we both chose five five kind of top takeaways from I did the sort of uh, earlier chunk of episodes and you did the more recent chunk. So yep. it's just really to recap our first year of, you know, podcasting through the pandemic. So <laughs> it's been a journey. Um. I guess my stuff is older, so but we could maybe trade back and forth, or how do you want to do this? Well, I think I mean I think start. Give give me your first one. Okay. I'll give you my first one, and then we'll just go from there. Um. So I sort of I took an approach of looking for. I feel like especially at the beginning there were a lot of themes um, that sort of ran through the episodes. So I sort of grouped, chunked them into themes. Um, so the first sort of takeaway I got from all of the great guests that we were able to interview um, was to that in order to get um, ideal outcomes, you need to do things by design. I know, um, you know, Ian Bauer talked about design thinking on episode two. We talked about personas with Craig Cooksey on episode three um, and then security by design with Lorik on episode eight. And I think really the, you know, of course, they were sort of talking about, you know, whether it's project planning or um, personas for measuring user experience or security by design for making your IT more secure. All of those things came back to the necessity of having that as an intention from the get go instead of trying to solve it once it rears its head as a problem. So that was my that was my first takeaway. Well, that's that's a, it's a very interesting thing because I, 
the, the immediate thought I had was the discussion I had with Eileen. With, um, I'm not trying to remember if it was the second episode or the first episode. I'm sure it was the second episode where we discussed having a fire break. Um, and one of the things that, that I've noticed, you know, and it's always I mean, in hindsight, is that we're so driven to deliver that we aren't able to take a, we don't stop sometimes to take that breath, to look at the big picture. And, and, and that's usually what a design is. A design is that big picture. And if you don't do that, then you could be delivering things out of sequence. You could be delivering things bad. You're going to have to redo later, which creates technical debt. Um, and I think it's something that, that is not really, at least in, in a lot of organizations I've been in, it's not something that is, that is supported in the sense that go take some time, go design it, then come back. And we'll build it. It's it's usually someone has committed to a date, whether it's a realistic date or not, and said we'll have it done by then. And then that sort of filters through, and someone has to go and deliver it. So my uh, my ring doorbell is going moggy. <laughs> um, but but it is it is interesting. So so taking that design, thinking about it. Considering not necessarily, and the other thing here is you also don't want to go into analysis paralysis. You, you want to design just enough that you can, and this is where the, where the agile sort of methodology does come into it really nicely. If you've got a vision, which is not necessarily the, and this is also with Jackie Rigby, it's not necessarily, and you know, avoiding the jargon too much, but, but you have a vision that kind of gives you the picture of where you want to get to, but then you iterate as you're building towards that vision. And you've got to get your priorities right, obviously, and, and that comes from your design. But but it's getting to that; it's a journey through the whole thing. And, and even though you might, you, you know, it's not a uh, you know six weeks of three sprints and you get there. It could be years to get to that vision, but you're constantly evolving, and you've been led by your your customer who, whose need you're trying to solve. And you might be solving multiple needs as you go. So I think it's a good one to pick out, definitely. What's your first takeaway? Um, yeah, so, so I, I looked at all of the people that, that I sort of got to look at, um, you know, and, and it was guys like like Urban Lazar from the research. It was Mark Chillingworth, the, the tech writer, um, and, and I mentioned Jack, you know, and, you know, Jed as well from, from um, IGEL. Um, but w- what was coming up commonly with all of them, and not to forget, forget Holly either, is, is trust. You need to have trust in the tool sets, the, the technology, the people, the process for this all to work. Um, and what I quite liked that came out of the conversation with Jackie on that was two other things, because we, we kind of get used to the people process technology triangle. Um, but actually when talking with her, there was two others, which was structure and strategy. And I think those two tie up really nicely as, as, part of that framework, which comes back to design again, ironically, because strategy obviously is towards a vision, but it's, it's always going to be high level. You need structures that help you get there. And then you need the combination of people, process and technology to get there. But all of that has to work together and everyone's got to trust that it's going to work. Otherwise you spend your whole life second guessing and you never get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my, my first takeaway. Yeah. I think also just being uh, with the, exponential increase in remote work. I think trust also kept presenting itself as a theme because everyone had to, you know, like it or not, learn to trust their teams to some extent. And that like part of this is also the shift in 
the workplace and how it will likely, you know, for most of us anyway, not go back to what it was before, um, which I think, you know, having all of these tools for collaboration and, and using agile and, you know, changing your methodologies is there's a lot of benefits, but I think there's also, you know, some risks with change that organizations haven't taken that they've been forced to take. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I guess on the on the trust end, that's what that comes to mind for me. Yeah, which which I'll probably lead into my second one, if you don't mind, which yeah, sure. is, is investing in integrate. Well, I don't want to say integrated working or results oriented working, but but moving away with that trust, you've got to move away from being time watches and and shift the shift mentality. So allowing people to to work very much in a tailored way. Um, there's always going to be a need to overlap. So you're going to have to do, you know, like you're in a different time zone to me, but and even further now than, than normal. So there's still a need to overlap time zones and, and all that for meetings and having those calls and stuff. But but you've got to do it in such a way that um, the work from home doesn't become, doesn't impact the, the home life and the home life doesn't impact the work. And that, that integrated working with some level of flexibility is is something that, that came up quite a lot. And I think going into 2021, once we get out of all these lockdowns and, and all that, hybrid working will become very normal. And we'll look back on this in 10 years time and go, how did we ever spend five days a week in an office commuting three hours a day, et cetera? Um, you know, we were mad. Yeah, I was just having this conversation yesterday with my boyfriend, like, I don't want to go back to the office full time, you know, if that becomes an option in 2021. Because um, I've been I've been talking for a long time about just upgrading my desk at home. But it's like, well, if I make this investment and then in a few months we're back in the office, like, what are we going to do with this furniture? So because um, I'm getting really ambitious now, and not only do I want a standing desk, but I also want like maybe some sort of treadmill pad or something <laughs> like, cause the thing that I miss is more than anything is my commute to work because I walk to work. So I had that activity in the morning and in the evening that was just set. And I don't, it's really hard to replicate that in my daily routine, but I think if I had it, you know, just ready to go, I could at least start the morning and, um, end my day on that, which would be, you know, it's kind of a luxury, I guess, but um, I definitely miss it. I don't think it's a luxury at all. Um, I think it's a necessity. Um, and you, I mean, you and I linked on, on Apple Watches, so you'll know that I do my workouts almost every day, religiously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also walk a lot and all the rest, and I make you know a point of it because I think, like you, that commute is incredibly important. And, and, I'm, and I'm in two minds about going back to an office and not going back to an office. So, you know, obviously I'm in South Africa now, um, and it looks like we're here for the foreseeable future if things don't improve in the UK or, or even here in South Africa. Um, but but you need that commute for the buffer between home and work. So so that's useful, you know, getting out walking, uh, whatever it is. But I, I think, and I was saying this to a guy I met this morning, um, what, I th- what I would like to see is that you can do your brain work at home, but you'll go into the office for the brainstorming, the the meetings you need to do face-to-face, that kind of stuff, socializing, but it's one or two days a week um, and maybe not every week, um, depending on, on what organization you're in. Um, but the key thing is you're a knowledge worker with, with the ability to, you know, have your 
your quiet time and get your work done. Cause I think that's probably something that if I've heard people complain about is the amount of phone calls they've had to be on because now they're remote and they spend the whole day, you know, going from meeting to meeting to meeting, which was no different to what I experienced working in banks. You know, we spent the whole day on the phone. Um, meanwhile, everyone's in the same building. Um, but you're not getting any work done. And I'm hoping that, that the result of this is that people will get more work done because they will have a dedicated space and, and not everyone kind of, you know, may have a space in their house for dedicated space. But you know, even me, I'm looking at when we get back, I'll have an office down the road from me, 10 minutes walk in a Regis. Um, that'll become, you know, my wife's even said to me, you need to get out of the house, otherwise you're going to get any work done. Um, but it's not me commuting to London for an hour and 20 minutes, which is fine even there, because that's on a train for an hour, which, you know, you can still work on a train. Um, but it is important to invest in that stuff. And I think that's what I'm looking forward to personally and selfishly is investing in the home office or the the, local, the, the more local office for for people. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, and that's kind of, I guess, also one of the, you know, the arguments for returning to some degree, or at least having a hybrid model where, you know, if people don't want to work from home because they don't have the setup or, you know, they have distractions that there is still office space that people have the option of using, but maybe not required. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and it's interesting too because I've had um, a number of colleagues join during this time who I've never met in person, and I don't know when I will. And I think we've also started a little bit. I'm sure this has happened to other organizations to hire more widely. You know, not as based on location. Um, so I really don't know. You know, I, I have a new boss who's you know uh, on the East Coast, and I'm in Michigan. So I don't know when. Uh, one will ever actually meet in person. Yeah, and I think that's a good reason to travel. So I think traveling will go, will come back once you know everyone's been vaccinated, probably, or whatever the solution is. But then you then you're doing that trip for for a purpose. You're not just doing the trip because you've got to go see that office, and you know almost the, the excuse for travel. I think people will have gotten used to being home with their kids and their and their wives and, and husbands and partners. And and don't want to give up that extra time because you know saving three hours a day, you know that's that's two days a week you save. Yeah. Which is crazy, you know, if you think about it. Did, was that your second thing, or was that that just a? Uh... Um. Well, my third one was about yeah. remote and hybrid work. I mean, it's hard not to have that as a takeaway because that you know it we couldn't not have that pretty much as part of every single conversation because you know having a podcast about work and especially about the digital aspects of work that's all this year was for those of us who especially those of us who um are able to work from home so it just came up again and again um I guess the episodes that I sort of noted in that theme that maybe are a little bit different than what we've talked about so far so there was episode five about VR at work. Um, this yeah. was an earlier one, and it was a recast of of one I'd published previously on another show. But I think, um, you know, I think it's still to me a lot of that stuff seems a bit futuristic. Although I've I've heard of um, for holiday parties, people using the VR tech to simulate that um, office party environment, and then using voice proximity technology so like your avatar would walk up to 
you know, someone else's avatar and then you can hear them. But if you walk away, you can't. So it kind of stimulates that Mm -hmm. instead of having, you know, and a hundred faces on a zoom call, which I'm a little bit scarred. I had like, I I had at least like five Christmas zooms, you know, with different people, um, which is great. It's great that we now have this enforced to be able to, um, you know, see people and see people's faces on the day, um, which I'm sure everyone did a little bit of already, but now seeing more people is awesome, but it's also, I think that zoom fatigue is very real. Um, so, you know, there's sort of that, that VR aspect that's kind of interesting. Um, there was episode seven, the iPad work day, where you talked about how you spent a whole day working on your iPad. And I think with um, flex working, hybrid working, you know, the idea of having lighter devices, you know, relying more on tablets, I think could be something we see more of in 2021 as well. Um, uh, so on that point, I mean, you think about where WVD has gone for Microsoft. Um, and I think there's an equivalent for Amazon as well. I mean, that is exactly where I think we're going to end up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sort of what, what we've discussed about my frustrations with Windows 10 and, and that. I didn't bring my Linux laptop with me. I brought my Windows 10 one with me. But while I've been sitting here, I've been building a Windows a WVD image for myself. And that's what, when I get back, that's what I'm going to use. And then that'll be a... Um, you know, we'll have my tools on it when it, when it irritates me, I'll delete and rebuild it. And that's, I think that is the future. Then I use my iPad or whatever other device to connect to it. Um, so I, I definitely think that's happening. And I think, I think that's a really huge progress or still a progressive step forward um, for, for many businesses where, you know, having virtualized desktops was, was a too expensive problem. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it's more a case of why wouldn't you do it? Yeah. Um, you know, so definitely see it go that way. Sorry, I, I interjected there. No, no, you're fine. We can uh, we can move on to the next one too, because I know we don't have a lot of time to dwell too heavily on on each topic, as good as they are. So, um, I guess my my second one, because that was my third, was that um, tool tools are communication tools matter, but it's really culture that's the cornerstone of communication. Um, And I think we noticed this. So I guess one of my favorite episodes that we've done so far and something that I'd be interested in trying more of in 2021 um, is just challenge challenges. Um, So I really enjoyed that inbox challenge that we did, that email challenge where we spent a month trying to reduce the um, not only the flow of email to our inbox, but also reduce the number of sends of doing you know, moving things over to a chat app like Microsoft Teams or, you know, sometimes maybe picking up the phone or just like looking for ways to reduce. Um, but I think a theme that came up uh, again and again there was that, you know, it matters also not just that you you can't just change your habits and not have um, with without your culture aligning with them. So, you know, if you have a culture of, um, anytime anyone sends me a message, there's an expectation that I'm going to respond. Then if you're sending your colleagues a Teams message, you know, at 9 p.m., that's not ideal. But if you have a conversation or if your culture is such that you can work at different times, you can send messages on platforms and it's OK, they'll know to pick it up the next day, then you're all set. But there's still that um you know, whether it's generational or team by team or organizational, whatever it is that there's no um, we're not very standardized yet on how to use these tools in that way. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head in a lot of ways. I think the, the, the businesses, and I was thinking I was talking with Jackie about this, um, the, the, the businesses that, that you expected to succeed are failing. There are businesses that you expecting to fail that are um, so doing really well. And there's a middle one, which is, I don't know what the option was, but but it does, it has come down. Oh, sorry, no. <laughs> this is going to be a sneak peek into an episode with Mark Stockforth. He and I were talking about this. Mm-hmm. And it was about the, the leadership that drives the cultural change and the progression of the business and the ability to pivot and the ability to to make decisions that that really transform the business. I mean, not to use the, the sort of digital transformation piece, but that, that pun. But, you know, what, what we were saying is that why is it that these there's some companies that, you know, and you look at something like, like Kodak, you know, Kodak was the play, was the company for, to, for photography products. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they weren't, they got, they got overtaken by smartphones and all the rest of it. But now they're slowly coming back and, and they're coming back with what they're building medical equipment. So they're still around, they haven't gone anywhere, but, but they are, their sort of vision and their, their, their preparations are not quarterly based. Like a lot of companies, they are, looking 10 years, you know, whatever it is. And it, it seems, seems to be a Japanese cultural thing, um, which which is interesting because, you you know, as I say, if you look at a very simple example, like a pub, you know, and this is something I definitely discussed with Jackie, is that you'd have a pub that, that closed down during the lockdown, didn't do takeaways, versus a pub that did takeaways. And then when they opened up again, when you went there, they were still using the same app, but to order food to the table. So now they become a scalable digital business. Um, so when the lockdown hit again, that pub is still operating. It hasn't really changed. The only difference is where you're sitting is different. You know, uh, in fact, it's, it, it, they probably charge the same. They're probably the same. They have less operating cost, but they're scalable now. Whereas the, the businesses that didn't adapt, the other pubs that didn't do that, are the ones that are shutting down. And when I say shutting down, someone else, someone else is picking up that that building, turning into another pub, and you know, digitizing it. Um, so I'm trying to remember why that was important, but but that was that's what I thought of when you said what you said. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it comes, you know, I guess, you know, the common thread, right, is just um, ability to adapt and, you know, the cultural will to to change, which I think, you know, um, maybe has been I think digital transformation has been super buzzy for a long time in the enterprise and, you know, mid-market world for a while. I mean, to talk, to talk together, it is that it, you're, you're right in the sense of the ability to adapt, mm-hmm. but that adaption has to come from, from a culture of being willing to, willing to change the status quo. Yeah. So yeah, we use the pub example. You've got the one pub that doesn't change, you've got the other pub that does change. They're still doing the same. It's still operating the same thing. It's still serving food, still serving booze, provided they're allowed to serve booze. But the only difference is they are prepared to, to try new things to deliver the same service, you know, so you might, you might find, and this didn't happen to me, but you could find that, that the, the one that's using the app, you know, adds a personal deliverable, deliverable note with, with the delivery to say, well, we, we didn't have you in the, in, in the pub, but next time when you can, please come in and we'll, we'll, you know, be happy to serve you. Just a little thank you note, handwritten, whatever it is. Personal touch changes that perception. You know, go to a pub. You, you change your perception to the point you might visit that pub. So that's that's adapting and, and being a bit more proactive, versus the the other one saying, "Well, if I just shut down and I negotiate my rent and I don't have to pay rent for that those three months that we're locked down, 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll re-engage when we're allowed to do it. There's always a huge, there's a huge risk there that the, that the customer that would have spent money there, unless they're regular, now will spend money with the one they got a personal touch with, the connection. Mm-hmm. And we, we took a, you know, view that when, when takeaways were allowed and when we were allowed to go to restaurants, we would order take, takeaways twice a week. You know, one more than normal because we needed those, we wanted to support the local community and we wanted them to grow. Now, where are you going to spend your money? You'd spend the money when you got a connection. Yeah. And that, and that's why I think the culture is so important. And that's what, what, what I say, what Mike and I talk about, is that if you have that willingness to adapt and willing to drive the change, your business will, will do exponentially better. And that means adopting futuristic or, or future-proofing um, tools. It may not just be technology per se, like computers, it could be anything. But you've got to be willing to, to do it or develop a new product that doesn't exist. Yeah, and I think what we've seen this year is all of those ideas, you know, come down to the local business level. Whereas before there was a, you know, a mom and pop shop might might do better with a digital ordering system, with being able to ship things online, with doing, you know, takeout or delivery through some online system. Um, but it wasn't a business imperative, whereas now I think it, it has become one. Yeah, which so, so so the thing that I was that I sort of picked up is speed, mm. uh, and I sort of wrote speed just as as I was like you know whatever you, you know whatever you want to put that onto. So so the ability for a problem to be solved quickly, um, and that's always going to be relative. And I don't know if I ever used the phrase with you that um, slow is fast and fast is slow, which is a military the military mantra. And the idea behind that is when you rush things, you actually do it slower. So, you know, fast, slower. And then when you do something slowly, but you do it, you know, methodically and with, with, with um, the right attention to it, the more you do it, the faster you get. And if you look at, at building software or anything like that, and then this goes back to the goal, that book that I recommend all the time, um, decreasing the size of your batches, so you're doing smaller amounts of work more regularly, builds up your momentum. And your order of sequence is easier to see because you've broken it down into smaller chunks. So you can see a little bit more head. When you take on bigger things, you don't see necessarily everything because it's the wood for the trees. You know, you're dealing with a forest instead of just the tree. Oh, to see another way to, to, to approach that. Um, but the speed, you know, the ability for, for and comes back to adaptability to, I guess, to an extent as well. Um, your ability to, to respond to the problem, you know, people being put into lockdown in March, and being able to work remotely, the businesses that could do that quickly, you know, for some of them it was, it was flicking a switch because they had the business continuity plans in place and they just executed on them versus those that didn't, you know, led to me to my sort of fifth item, which is usually the big one we talk about, which is end user experience mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of ability to do their work on any device, anytime, anywhere um, to be productive. And your, your sort of, cost of, of doing that or the friction to do that would have been greater if you didn't have the plans in place and the infrastructure and the tools and the, and the processes versus those that did. Mm-hmm. You know, for us, for us, it was a case of, well, we're working from home from the foreseeable future. Okay. Well, my laptop's with me. I'm ready to go. Whereas some of the guys had no laptops. They had no personal devices. They had nothing. They had to go and provision all that and set up all the, the security stuff they needed, et cetera, et cetera, which is not, you know, those are month long projects. Usually they're not um, flick a switch projects if you haven't done it from from the get go. 
So speed is a big thing. Yeah, that kind of ties into my my fifth one as well, which is that I had that understanding the remote employee experience, um, work from home boundaries, flexibility is key moving into 2021. And I think, um, you know, what you said, even around um, hardware procurement, because we saw a lot of, you know, BYOD out of necessity. We saw, you know, getting any possible laptop, you know, it didn't even matter um, the specs at some point or, you know, whether it was a Chromebook or what, it was just like everything was gone um, and people were snatching it up to be able to send people home. But I think working remotely, I think there's still a lot of IT issues that haven't been ironed out. Things like how to do remote support effectively when you can't go to that person's machine and service it. How do you figure out what's wrong? How do you diagnose the root cause? And then how do you actually take the step to resolve it remotely when you can? Um, you know, what do you do about people's home Wi-Fi network? You know, Wi-Fi network quality mm. is a big issue for a lot of people. And especially when, you know, video conferencing is such a big part of it. You know, if you're the colleague that, um, you know, let's say you don't have an ideal webcam or your uh, video quality is terrible or your sound quality is terrible. And, you know, I have network interruptions all the time. And I'm sure, you know, my network is, you know, one of the the better ones I can get for a um you know, a home Wi-Fi plan. So at some point, um, you know, I guess to come back to the main point here is just that I think these these end user experience issues and their effects, their knock on effects on productivity are something that came up again and again in our episodes, but are also not going away um, anytime soon. No, I think, yeah, I, think you, yeah you, uh, I forgot about connectivity. Um, I mean, that is, that is huge. I mean, as you know, I'm sitting in, in a third world country, but at least now I can use Teams. Um, last year, this time, I was really struggling. Um, and that's just because they've improved the connectivity here, you know, leaps and bounds. In fact, they've doubled the, the connectivity uh, that the sort of bandwidth put through. But I think, you know, if you, if you look at one of the, the sort of pros out of this pandemic and, and out of this year, it is that we've all leaped forward five to 10 years, depending on where you were maturity wise, to use the tools that have been available for a long time. Mm-hmm. But the average user who, who let's say, you know, is a mom and pop or, you know, generational, might have generational aversion to using the technology, now uses the technology like they use anything. They've been able to Zoom or Teams or WhatsApp call or anything like that, which was usually for a select few. Now everyone who's got technology is comfortable doing that. Okay, there are people that obviously don't have the the means to buy all these tools and, and have the connectivity at home, but at least a good amount have got it, which is which has opened up, you know, the world to to more progressive stuff. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of incredible seeing. Um, not that there weren't any technical glitches, but seeing all of my older relatives joining, you know, a Zoom call to play. We did a, a family trivia game um, on Christmas Eve. So seeing everybody get on board with that um, was just something I wouldn't have ever thought possible. Um, you know, when I try to FaceTime my grandpa, he holds the phone to his ear, partially because it's, it's easier for him to hear, but I'm not really used to the the video calls with them for whatever reason. So, um, but yeah, I think you're right that um, those, you know, it has really changed 
you know, everyone's technical proficiency and that um, just forced a, a big shift forward. Well, I, and I mean, I looked at we, we uh, when I say my in-laws, there's a church just as you walk out the complex. And, you know, Christmas Day, obviously, you expect it to be rammed with people for the, for the masses and stuff. You know, they do the mass on Christmas Eve and the mass in the morning. But because of the restrictions, they couldn't do that. So you walk outside and they, they can't go into the church. They have to do it outside in the tent, which is fine, yeah, because the weather's always, you know, relatively good. Um, but what we, what we noticed, actually, is the amount of cameras they'd set up. So actually... They might have had, you know, just the people running the service there, maybe 10 or 20 people attending the service, but everyone else is dialed in on Zoom or whatever they're using for the, for the thing. I mean, it, it almost completely, um, I wouldn't say bizarre, but you think, well, actually, they must have, they should have increased their coverage of, of parishioners because now anyone yeah. can attend. Imagine you, you lived in, in that area, then you moved to another area, but you really like that church. And you haven't really gone back to church because you haven't found an alternative. But now you could just connect to your old church. It could be ten hours away. It could be two hours away. Time zone dependent. You could you could easily connect and and do it. And and that 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 sort of aversion to using the technology now has has hopefully gone away, which means we'll actually speed up with other investments in you know, AR or VR or or something like that, um, which is quite exciting, I think. No, I mean, you're so right that, you know, that connectedness and that ability to, um, you know, connect into things, you know, I've watched, um, you know, I've, I've attended live events from home. I've attended, um, concerts from home. I've, you know, done all these things where normally it would be a big hassle to travel or I knew, you know, it's a different state. I'm not going to be able to go to this event, um, has become so much more accessible. And I think, It'll be interesting moving forward to see what things revert and what kind of take that along as a second side option um, and have the two in parallel where you have people in person for, you know, the church service. And then you also stream it for anyone who, you know, can't attend that day for whatever reason or isn't even in a convenient location anymore. So, yeah, we, we um, with my, with with just the one kid. You know, we'd go to church and it would be very difficult to keep him entertained for, for 40 minutes. And even though it's a kid's service and stuff, you know, he's still running around and whatever it is. But I can now imagine quite easily sitting in my living room, you know, the service is on, you know, we can we can partake to to an extent. Obviously, you're going to miss out on your communion and stuff. But if the kid wants, you know, kids in its own safe environment, they can go play in the playroom and stuff. And then as they, they sort of see that things are, it's interesting, and they get older, then you can start taking them back to. I mean, I'm talking about obviously post-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, you could you could sort of slowly introduce them to them, and you can actually talk to them through the service. And say, this is why this is important, or why you should listen, or whatever it is. You know, I can see that you know a, a completely different perspective to it. Um, yeah. You know, plus you don't have to get out of pajamas. You could be you know <laughs> as comfortable as you want. Yeah, and I think you know, I think it, it's great for those with kids. It's also great for you know the elderly, um, the disabled, you know, like it, it really has opened up. Um, the world is more accessible virtually for all of the, you know, kind of um, the Zoom fatigue and the difficulty of of having things over video and not seeing people in person. It is, um, you know, even just virtual conferences and everything is very, very accessible here um, in a lot of ways. Did you have a, a favorite episode of the ones you reviewed or in total? 
Ooh. Um, of the ones I reviewed, there's, it's hard to pick a single favorite. I think um, if I did, I think it would have to be probably that inbox detox one we did just because I, there was something so satisfying in, in doing a challenge and collecting the data and doing a recap and it was sort of a whole experiment. So I think just the spirit of that episode was really fun for me. Well, maybe we need to look at having for next for next year a set of challenges to, yeah. to think about. I was thinking I'd love to do that. I know. And I think um, you've been trying out Fitness Plus, right? I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. So I have too. So that's something can we can park, but we can <laughs> talk about that soon. I have a lot of feelings about the apps, though. <laughs> oh, I, think, I think we should because, uh, you know, I, I, I keep tweeting to them and they keep sending me down these rabbit holes of, do this, do that. And I noticed that the one thing they actually, there was an update that rolled out literally after the next day after I sent it. So I was wondering if maybe I, I, I did actually, um, hit a nerve. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that'd be great. I think, I think some challenges for next year would be good. Um, I mean, from my point of view, just so I, so I enjoyed all, all the guest episodes. I mean, I think talking to, to an expert in their field is, is hugely, valuable um one because they open your eyes to things you haven't thought about um and two they've got stories to share that that really you know teach you stuff that, that you you, know, you wouldn't have learned elsewhere um but i think my favorite one if i'm honest is, is the star trek captain ones one uh, only because i've been watching star trek again and and thinking about what we talked about there and applying you know if you had this project who would you pick um, and I think that is, you know, it's the hero's journey, really. Who's your, your hero and, and how do you, you know, that is, the, and this comes back to the culture and the leadership. You know, you need a hero to to follow or to be, you know, if you're the hero. Um, so that was my favorite, I think, of all of them, um, beyond, beyond, beyond the guests, at least. Yeah, no, that was a fun one. And even, you know, myself not knowing all that much about Star Trek, I still had a good time recording it and listening to it. So... I think, I guess, uh, the common theme here is to do, you know, whether it's the challenges or some different angle on it, that the, just to do some, some fun episodes, I think. And yeah, but yeah, I agree. Oh, sure. yeah, all the guests and everyone we've had on, um, you know, have, have provided a lot of great insights and I think we've, we've gotten a really great catalog of, um, nuggets of wisdom this year. And I think a lot of it will be relevant for a lot, you know years to come but i think it is also interesting that we have sort of this time capsule of working through a pandemic and um the way we talked at the very beginning about how things were going and how long remote work would be happening for and it was always like a question of you know what month are you going back mm. you know how many you know what, what what quarter and now oh my goodness you know microsoft delayed uh, they're not going to do any in-person events this year. That was like wild, you know, back in March um, that they were talking about delaying until July, I think, of 2021. And now I'm like, they're not doing in-person in July. That's not happening. So um, I think we really uh, captured that 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 huge change. Yeah. But but cool. Yeah. I mean, this is this was fun recapping. You know, all the our our initial start, all of those episodes from. 2020. Well, I mean, I, you know, when we first talked about doing this, I said, let's do 10 and see how we go. 
and I think I think we're at 36 or 30. Well, this will probably be the 37th, I think, or something like that. I lost track of how many we've done. Um, but we started recording a year ago, sort of November, December, uh, and here we are. You know, as you say, through a pandemic and all the rest of it, but it's actually been, I think, for both of us, and I'm talking on your behalf, of course, a lot, a lot more fun and a lot more interesting than we thought it was going to be. Always hope. Yeah, a lot more sustainable, right? <laughs> so that's always my worry with the, you know, any taking any extra projects on, especially with the podcasts. I think, and you know, we've talked a little bit about maybe having a sideshow where we just talk about sort of the nuts and bolts and what it takes to really get one off the ground and to keep one going. But it is a lot, um, you know, I think anyone can have a podcast, but sustaining a podcast is really where the, um, mm-hmm. you know, the challenge comes. And I think part of that is, you know, being, you know, being excited about the subject matter, being able to find great people to talk to um, and to be able to come back to it again and again is really where the, you know, the key is for keeping it going. No, spot on. Absolutely spot on. Well, super. Should we end it there then? End of the year? Yeah. 29th of December? Yeah. <laughs> I hope, you know, I think, I, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> it's a, I don't even know what to say about 2021. I'm optimistic. I don't want to be foolishly optimistic. I don't want to be, you know, too disappointed in the first half of the year, but um yeah, I think it's going to be a better year. Well, you know, you know, I challenge people normally when they say this was a rough year because, I mean, think about it. I mean, look, unless someone in your family has actually died um, or been seriously ill and you've had to worry and stress about it um, and or you've lost your job, you know, completely and had no, no funds, I mean, it hasn't been that bad for most people. Most people have had, they've, had, they've been able to work from home They've had time to spend with their families. They've, you know, had t- had the ability to do other things they probably wouldn't have had time to do. Um, the only thing is they had to sit at home, which and watch TV. Uh, it's not working, um, which has made some sort of mental shift. But it hasn't been that bad. I think the uncertainty's made it bad. Mm. I think the the feeling sometimes that that your respective governments making up as they go along and imposing or pressing you, you know, has, has sort of caused some anxiety, but you know, I can't really complain. I mean, I, you know, I had a baby born during the period. We, we worked from home, nothing really changed for us. We still went out and did our fitness every day. And we still well, walk around. We still got our takeaways. We still got our thing. Okay. Obviously for three months we did not but it wasn't that bad. Yeah. But uh, yeah, as I say, I think for some people that, I mean, it obviously was, but a good amount of you it wasn't so yeah i think well in a few years be able to look back with more perspective and um i think even come back to a lot of the things that we talked about in this episode and see whether or not they were truly permanent changes and you know what happened as a result so we uh, yeah i just hope we don't rebound back into the old ways of working and i think you know i think some organizations will I think that's inevitable, but I think a lot won't. Um, I think a lot have realized the benefits far away, the, you know, scary aspects of not being able to look over employee shoulders and whatnot. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. All righty, let's leave it there then. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 
Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.